Welcome to Cultivating Leaders. I am your host, Billy Schultz. Thanks for listening to this episode. We begin this week a four-part series based on our leadership summits we held in our district, uh, one in March and one in April. We have recorded for you um, the plenary sessions as well as two of the breakout sessions that were held at this event. Uh, We're excited to present this week uh, the first plenary session, which was Reverend Dr. Terry Tiemann, who wrote a book called Hinges, uh, which a lot of the material that you'll be hearing is based off of. The the whole purpose of this event was to help uh, roster workers as well as lay leaders uh, think about new ways to open their church's doors to the community, uh, to realize that the community is a, is, can be invited into the church and be engaged in the life and ministry of the church. So we have uh, Dr. Tiemann's presentation here. It's about an hour long and I hope you find it um, edifying and beneficial to your ministry. Well, it's great to be here today with all of you, and I do want to thank you for your Chamber of Commerce weather that you provided. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was only 20 degrees when I left Memphis yesterday. That's 20 Celsius, <laughs> which I think is about 80 <laughs> in Fahrenheit. I, 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 uh, I mowed my lawn yesterday. And uh, then got on the plane, came, came here, and, and uh, I see uh, your lawns are all well manicured. They're all the same color. Uh, they all look exactly the same. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so uh, in, in, in good Memphis parlance where I'm from, I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. That's, that's all the Elvis you're going to get. Um, tell you a little bit about myself. I got a picture of my family. There we go. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I grew up on a hog farm in uh, uh, western Missouri, been uh, basically in the cradle of Lutheranism, one of the cradles uh, around Concordia, Missouri, if anybody knows where that is. Uh, went to Lutheran High School at St. Paul's there, uh, got my uh, education degree from Concordia Seward, and then uh, went to seminary in St. Louis, and so I've been a pastor now about 35 years been in um, Memphis, uh, almost 25, not quite 25. Uh, About half of that time was the Mid-South District Mission Exec, so I primarily uh, helped start new churches. And then about 10, 12 years ago, uh, I found, as as many of us did that were working in new, new church starts, that there were so many churches that would this plateau, or, or they get to a certain level and they wouldn't grow anymore. And, and so we did a big study and, and uh, found out that there was a, 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 a real good scientific reason for all of that, and we found out it was sin. So <laughs> the, reason, the reason that uh, churches don't, don't grow uh, beyond a certain point is because we, we get selfish and we get inward focused. And uh, so many of the new church starts, at least in our district, we're all about convenience. Instead of driving you know, 40, 50 uh, miles or more, uh, our good Lutherans wanted a church close by, which is a good thing. So they'd start a new church, and then they'd get to maybe 75 or 100 in worship, and everything would get real comfortable at that point because they could pay their bills, they had a lot of friends around them, uh, life was good, so they didn't see a great need to reach out <clears throat> into their communities. Um, so what we realize, what, what really needs to happen if we're going to be serious about making disciples 
and be serious about kingdom growth is that we needed that DNA. We needed that passion for the lost that uh, Jesus has for us, right? Jesus has for all people. So if we could instill more of that uh, into our folks and, and help them to understand and see that and give them some good techniques on how to share the good news of Jesus with their friends and neighbors, that we would see some good things happening in our, in our churches. And that really is what started me on the path of what I like to call revitalization, or, or maybe a better term, church transformation. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. And so the title is Hinges. It's about opening doors. That's what hinges do, right? Open, uh, open doors. Well, we want to talk about opening doors for the gospel to our community. And so, oh, there's another picture of my family. I knew I, I had another one up there. Those are my grandkids, the, the cutest grandchildren in the entire world. If you'd like to dispute that, we can arm wrestle during the break. Okay. Here we go. Opening doors. So, obviously, Jesus is the only door <clears throat> to salvation. Um, <clears throat> but there's, there's many ways to get that good news of Jesus out to our community. When I talk about opening doors, it's not so much about you know, getting people into our church, although that's a good thing. We, we would never <laughs> you know, want to keep people out of our churches. But uh, when we talk about hinges and doors, what, what I'm really talking about is how do we get our members out of the church building and into the community uh, so that they can share the love of Jesus with people that need to know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. So our theme verse is John 10, verse 9. And I believe most of us probably know the first part of that. And it's, it, it says, you know, Jesus says, I, I am the door, or, or sometimes I am the gate. It's translated. And he says, if anyone enters through me, he will be, what? I know, I know you know this. He will be saved, right? So if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. That's the first part of John 10, verse 9. I'm going to ask if anybody knows the second part. You didn't even know the first part. So <laughs> I caught you off guard. Uh, but the second part of the verse is that he will go in and out to pasture. So we, but I think what happens so often in our churches, we get people in the church and we praise God for that. But then we, we feed the sheep. We feed our members. We encourage them. We strengthen them. We do all these things. But then we don't give them instructions to go back out. Or we don't expect them to go back out into the pasture, into the place where they came from, where all the lost sheep are. So that's really what we're talking about with this whole idea of hinges. Let's, let's bring people in. Let's strengthen them. Let's train them. Let's encourage them. But then with the expectation, you need to go back out to the pasture from which you came to share the good news of Jesus with others so they can have the same blessings that you have because of your relationship with Jesus. So we need to get people uh, out of the building, so to speak. I did mention that I'm from Memphis, and I just had the opportunity this last week to go back to Graceland. Anybody ever been to Graceland? Uh, by the way, they, they have completely refurbished the whole place. They built some new exhibits. Uh, if you haven't been for a while, you need to come back to Memphis and, and see how wonderful it is. But we were over there uh, this last week. Uh, my wife's a, a teacher in uh, Memphis uh, Shelby County school system. So they want to get the, the, the teachers to bring their kids to Graceland. So they gave us a free tour. This cost $150 uh, normally, the tour that we took. And it was, it was completely free. 
But uh, you know, the, the thing that always happens at the end of every Elvis concert, they always make an announcement. Who knows what the announcement is at the end of an Elvis concert? Elvis has left the building. See, I think that'd be the perfect benediction for, for churches. Not Elvis has left the building. <laughs> at the end of every church service to say, the church has left the building. So we're going back out into the community where we can really do the Lord's work. So that's what we need to be doing. So what I want you to do right now, and we don't have tables, so just turn to the person next to you. We'll do this real quickly. But answer these two questions. How are you getting out of your church currently? What are the people doing in your church to connect more people to Christ in your community? So that's the first question. And the second one is, what are some things you could be doing? You know, no, no barriers. No restrictions. What could you be doing? Give you about five minutes to do that. So just talk to the person or persons next to you. Answer those two questions. Go. Okay, your time's up. If you can hear my voice, clap twice. Excellent. My wife teaches kindergarten, so that's how I learned how to do that. Um, so what kinds of things are you doing at your church right now to connect people to, to Christ in the community? Just raise your hand and let's hear some of your ideas. By the way, one of the, the things we want to do here today is give you some new ideas so we can learn from one another. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. So we close our Wonderful. doors wow. once a month and we go into town. <clears throat> okay. Excellent. What else? I know there's a lot of things going on, so let's hear them. Yeah. Our outreach board has uh, been actively attempting to have movie nights okay. uh, three or four times during the year. All right. Okay. Not only the church members, but people within the community. Okay. Very good. So, movie nights. What else? How about some? They have movie nights several times a year. If the weather's nice, it's outside. Uh, if not, it's inside. But to invite the community to, so they get to know some new people and, and get acquainted with them. What else? Yes, way in the back. Okay. Getting them housing, jobs, uh, connecting them, uh, they invite them to church as well. Okay, very good. So connecting to folks as they get out of prison, help them get back into society. Yes? Um, we have fellowship meals on Wednesdays. They're free for the community to come in. Okay. Sure. <clears throat> okay. So, and, and when I talk about that, I don't know if everybody heard, but uh, they, they do community meals on Wednesdays, provide uh, clothing and, and other things for, for folks that, that need them in the community, but uh, not, not many of those folks, or, or maybe none of them, actually end up in the Sunday worship service. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, you know, that's an issue. Um, and, and there's a, 
a difference between the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So <clears throat> providing meals and, and uh, uh, clothing and things like that for, for folks is Great Commandment stuff. It's something Jesus tells us to do, love your neighbor as yourself. But we also need to do the Great Commission. So how can we bring those two together? And there's ways to do that. So we'll talk about that as we go today. What else? Yes. Okay, so what do you do specifically to do that? Right now, I mean, I have to go with my pastor because I've been out of the loop, and he graciously brought me back into the flock. Awesome. Okay. So, so training, out, actually outreach training. Wow, what a novel concept. That's awesome. We talk about it a lot. We don't necessarily do it, and we need to do it. So, great. Yes? someone sharing the gospel with them or right. hey, right. and so having you know, young people learning how to do that and practicing with uh, someone in their youth group or at their church just to get comfortable and step right. out of your comfort zone and right. actually inviting somebody and that's that's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. Pre- presence, sometimes uh, the, the term is used, presence evangelism, which is uh, doing things that are visible so that people see you. You have a presence in the community. Uh, that's good to get people's attention, but at some point you have to do proclamation. Holy Spirit only works through means. Uh, Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So at some point we actually have to proclaim the gospel to people. And as Lutherans, and I would dare say just as Christians in general, most of us don't feel very comfortable in doing that. So you're in the right place today. I'm going to show you some, uh, some, some good training. I'm going to show you some things you can take home with you to work on this. Uh, but ultimately, all of us at some point need to be able to share the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and how that works. So very good. Any, any others? We're going to move on. Okay. Um, again, the idea is to get some ideas and... Uh, You'll get lots of those today, and, and hopefully some of those will resonate with you. You'll take them home. And, it, and folks, it's, it's one big experiment. A lot of these things, uh, especially when it comes to the presence of uh, evangelism and the activities, the uh, what I like to call net fishing events, it's one big experiment. You don't know how it's going to work until you do what? Actually try it. <laughs> so some of the things that maybe worked at one church won't work at your church. Or maybe you have to tweak them or change them or contextualize or or whatever. But you're never going to know what will work until you try something. And that's really what we want, uh, I think, to happen as a result of today. Go go home and do something. Uh, Try something new. um, And who knows what God will do with that. I think he'll do something wonderful. So I want to encourage you to do that. So many of you have received and hopefully read, uh, or at least read part of the book, uh, Hinges. So much of what I'm going to go over this morning is is from the book, but we'll go into a little more detail um, and uh, answer questions and that sort of thing. But um, that's where we're going, is we're going to look at the eight hinges 
And so um, Transforming Churches Network, uh, of which I'm the executive director, started doing research about 10 years ago. And we wanted to answer the question, what are the most important human factors uh, for uh, expanding the kingdom of God and having a missional impact on a particular community? We, we know what God does. No one comes to, to faith except through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know God builds a church, but he uses human beings like you and me. So what's our part in all of this? And, and what are some of the things that we can do that will have the greatest missional impact? So th those are the questions that we were asking in the, in the research that we did. And so over the past 10 years, uh, we have surveyed over 5,000 uh, LCMS uh, folks in over 100 churches, in, including now about 15 uh, of, of the churches here in Minnesota South. Some of you have uh, received a report if you decided that you wanted to do a hinges survey, and uh, hopefully this will be helpful for you today. And, and I'm gonna be following up with those churches that completed the survey, and you know you had to have at least 20 folks fill it out for it to be uh, scientifically valid. So uh, I'll be having a, a phone conference with many of you <clears throat> that have completed this. And if you haven't gotten that scheduled, uh, pastors especially, or someone from your church, make sure you talk to me uh, during the break, and we'll get that on the calendar. So figure about 75 minutes, uh, maybe 90 minutes, for um, the going over the, the results of your survey. So I'm going to start with, with the survey and the eight hinge factors that our research revealed have the greatest uh, missional impact on a community. These are things that we do. And so we divided these into two categories. There's what the pastor, and particularly the senior pastor, if it's a larger church, but then also the, the, the leaders of the church. So it's kind of by extension, the, the pastor or senior pastor and the, the leaders of the congregation are in one category, and then the congregation itself is in the other category. So we're going to break these down and talk about each one of them. On the pastor side, there's personal leadership, there is building bridges to the community, visionary leadership, and empowerment of God's people for works of service. Of those four, one of them has significantly more of a missional impact than the other three. Which one has the greatest missional impact? If you read the book, you know the answer to this question. So who can tell me which has the greatest missional impact? Which one? Empowerment. Empowerment, you're exactly right. Give that man a cigar, he read the book. Awesome. All right, on the congregational side, one of them, they're all important, but one has a greater missional impact than all the others. Which one is? Of the four, uh, functional board, which is governance structure, focused prayer, which is praying for the lost and unreached, community outreach, or inspiring worship. Which of those has the greatest missional impact? Let's call it out. Say, I'm testing. You're all so quiet this morning. It's okay. You can talk. Which one? Community outreach. Nobody wants to get, the, get it wrong. That is correct. All right. By the way, the two of you who answered those, I have a gift for you. So before you go today, and I'll talk more about these, but I've got two new uh, discipleship 
um, resources, and so make sure you get yours. Those, the two of you who answered those questions correctly would be this gentleman right here, and who is the lady over here that answered the question? It was you, okay, so you get those as your prize for speaking up and uh, encouraging all the rest of us this morning. All right, we're going to break these down now, and I want to show you how these uh, community outreach and um, empowerment have the greatest missional impact. So when I say missional impact, I'm talking about new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about people going from darkness to light. I'm talking about people who were destined to spend eternity uh, separated from God, now being able to spend eternity with Jesus. Those are important things. So the number one human thing that we can do is community outreach. And our research shows that if you'll do a minimum of six community outreach activities or events per year, you will have some missional impact on your community. In other words, you'll see some conversion growth uh, in your church and in your community. The problem is, how do we get our folks to get out there in the community and do outreach? The answer is, we must empower them. And it starts with the pastor. And so this really becomes the pivotal hinge. This really is the most important hinge, because all the other ones really emanate out of this one. And it kind of makes sense, because we're told in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, we're given the job description of the pastors. Jesus, it says, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And then it says what pastors and teachers and really all the other offices are supposed to do. And that is to empower God's people for works of service. And unfortunately, we've kind of gotten that mixed up, it seems to me, uh, over the years where it's like the pastor and teachers and all the church staff to do all the ministry, and the rest of us should applaud them and pray for them and put some money in the offering plate. But no, <laughs> it's supposed to be the leaders of the church, and particularly the pastor, uh, equip us, uh, empower us, encourage us, coach us, mentor us, walk alongside us, hold us accountable, so that we, as the members of the congregation, actually do the ministry. So that's why empowerment's so important. And if the pastor's empowering God's people, they will do more community outreach. Here's what's interesting, too. Come on now. There we go. They will be more engaged in praying for the lost and the unreached. Worship will become more inspiring. And as more people are being prayed for, Community outreach increases as worship becomes more inspiring, more people will do community outreach, and there will be a greater missional impact. So what you're going to see throughout, and if you read the Hinges book, you, you know that all of these hinge factors kind of fit together. But they all re really revolve around empowerment and community outreach. That's where it all starts. <clears throat> and here's just another little graph to show how they're related. The next question is, well, if empowerment's so important, how do we get the pastor to do this? <laughs> well, <laughs> good question. I'm glad you asked. 
Um, the way that this happens is as the pastor grows in his own personal leadership, he'll do a better job of empowering others. Kind of makes sense, right? If the, if the pastor is able to manage his own life well, then he's also able to help other people do what they need to do. If he is able to articulate the vision of the church well, communicate that, that will help empowerment. If he's out in the community modeling what it looks like to be connecting people to Christ in the community, then more people are likely to get involved in outreach. And if he has a governance system or a functional board that is supporting him in all of this, in other words, has his back, then he can do all these other things better as well. So again, we see how they're kind of all related. All right, here we go. Talked about the report a little bit. Looks like this. You're going to get some graphs uh, with a score, and your score uh, is in comparison to the other 100 or so churches that have already taken this report. So this is not like an objective report card where you get an A, B, C, D, or F. There's, it doesn't work like that. It's, you get a number, and it's, just, it's all relative. It's relative to how everyone else in the LCMS that has taken this report is doing. So you can kind of compare, well, are we doing as well as others? Are we doing not as well? Are we doing better? But even that's not really important. What's important is where are we now and where would we like to get to? So in other words, what do we need to do to improve? That's really the whole idea behind the report. So we're going to give you and I know you can't read that, and you probably can't see it real well. <laughs> Maybe you can see it on, on the handout. I hope you can. Um, but the idea is we're going to give you a score. We're going to tell you what your score indicates about that particular hinge and your ministry and your church. And then the really important thing is now what can you do to improve? And so we'll give you some recommendations. And then in the report on the phone call, We'll go into more specifics, and I'll give a couple of uh, uh, ideas, and then you can accept them or not. Say, I, I really have no, I have no authority over you. I know that's hard to believe. You would think, you know, whatever I say, that's what you'd go do, right? No. No, I'm simply going to make suggestions. Here are some things that may help you. Would you like to do that? Yes or no? Now, if you say yes, and we get into a coaching agreement or arrangement, then I'm, guess what I'm going to do? Next time I talk to you, I'm going to ask you, well, did you do what you said you were going to do? And if you say no, then I will encourage you to do it <laughs> next time. You thought I was going to say yell at you, right? No, it doesn't work that way. Okay. So that, that's the way the report works. It's simply a way to find out how well are we currently doing particularly in relationship to other churches, and what could we do to improve in this particular area? Okay. Now let's get into the actual factors. And the first one is personal leadership. So here's the idea. The pastor, and particularly the senior pastor, but you can actually uh, you can ex uh, expand this to any leader. Principles are the same. But it has the greatest impact when the pastor does this. So the pastor or the leader demonstrates a commitment to his own physical, 
mental, spiritual, and relational needs and development. So to grow in every aspect uh, of your life. So we're talking about things like this. Time management. Do you think pastors are busy? What do you think? Lay people, do you think? Raise your hand if you think your pastor's busy. You know what, you're right. I have encountered very few lazy pastors. Pastors are busy, they're hard workers, they're dedicated. Some of them work too much, by the way. <laughs> you know who you are, right? Um, but here's also what I've discovered. Many pastors, uh, and take this for what it's worth, guys, uh, you're, you're working real hard at all the wrong things. If you want to make a missional impact, then you must spend a good deal of your time in these eight areas of the hinge factors. What I find is a lot of pastors are working very, very hard, but it's mostly on taking care of the flock they already have. Now, the flock needs to be taken care of, don't get me wrong, but it isn't necessarily the pastor or the senior pastor that needs to be doing all of that. So one of the things that we help pastors do is, is take a look. How are you spending your time? What kind of bang are you getting <laughs> you know, for your buck, so to speak, you know, for, for how, whatever it is you're doing? So if you're behind your computer all day, and this is an exaggeration, but let's just say you're spending your time uh, you know, behind your computer all day, how many people are coming to Christ through that particular um, you know, use of time? Probably not very many, right? So, so that's the idea. Maybe there's better ways to spend the time. Now, we have a resource that I will show you, and we'll pass this around. You can take a look at it. It's called Skill Builders. It's very practical, and it works you through each one of the eight hinges, and give you, you actually write down the things you're going to do to improve in a particular area. So you kind of uh, self-evaluate and say, well, I, I, need to work, I need to improve in time management. Well, what am I going to do? One of the things that I do when I coach pastors is I have them write down whatever it is they're doing every 30 minutes. This is scary, folks, because we find we, we really waste a lot of time doing inconsequential things. And when you have to write it down and then report it to somebody else, it's, it can really look bad. So not everybody wants to do that. Uh, so uh, actually in the Hinges book, there's a chart at the back where you can, you can do that. And you can kind of keep track of, of, of your time. And you can put it into the eight hinge categories. So how much time did I spend this week actually doing community outreach? How much time did I spend empowering others? Uh, and what we find is a lot of it ends up in the maintenance category, where I'm taking care of people, which is a good thing, but could I empower somebody else to do some of the things that I'm currently doing? So anyway, time management is one of the things we'll look at. Spiritual disciplines. Even pastors need to grow. We need to be in the Word. We need to be praying. We need to take time apart. And so how well are we doing at that? What about physical fitness? A lot of guys, we, you know, we get burned out because we don't take care of ourselves physically. I look around. You're, you're a good-looking bunch. Looks like uh, most of you are in pretty good shape. But I, I, go to some, I go to some groups, and I go, oh, my goodness. You know, there's a heart attack there. It's waiting to happen. Um, pray that it doesn't. But we need to take care of ourselves physically as well. Um, recovery time, I'm not talking about recovery from addiction. 
although um, pastors are very susceptible to that because of all the stress and all the pressure. What I'm really talking about, do you, do you take vacation? Do you take time off? We're supposed to take a Sabbath every week. I think God kind of built that right into the calendar. But, uh, you know, a lot of us as pastors, we, we don't do it. We don't take time off. And not only do we hurt ourselves, but we hurt our families as well. So is there sufficient recovery time? Um, what about lifelong learning? I know that there's um, pastors learning communities here in Minnesota South. Awesome. Keep that up. If you're not in one, you might, might uh, get in one. Uh, are you reading books, podcasts, uh, going to seminars, going to workshops like this? Congratulate yourself for, for coming today. It's <laughs> part of the lifelong learning. What about relationships? Are they healthy? Family relationships. What about friends? especially leaders and pastors. Do, do you have a buddy? Do you have somebody that you can kind of let your hair down with and they won't judge you? <laughs> they won't report you to your uh, head elder <laughs> or to the DP? Uh, now, don't go do something crazy. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, have some fun now and then, right? So good, healthy, strong relationships. Um, are you being coached? I think every pastor... Every leader should have a coach. And if you don't have one, talk to uh, Mr. Johnson in the back. He'll help you find a coach. Okay. So we should be coaching other people, but we should be coached as well. Talked about that. So this is a good resource to find some of these things. Any questions on the, the first hinge, which is personal relationships? Going through it pretty fast. Again, a lot of this stuff's in the book. Okay. All right. Move on to the second one, bridging to the community. So we would recommend that the pastor, or really any staff person in a church, should dedicate some of his or her time. We would suggest eight hours a week. That's a whole day. <laughs> Guess what? If you're going to spend eight hours a week out in the community, out, out, out of your office, what does that mean for some of the other things you're doing? Somebody else is going to have to do it, right? So this is, you actually build in empowerment if you start doing more bridge building because uh, somebody else is going to have to do some of the other things. So what are you going to do out in the community? You're going to connect um, the church to the community by having a better understanding of what's happening in your community. You know the best way to know what's going on in your community? Spend time in it. In other words, talk to people. Um, you know, hang out wherever the people hang out. Talk to them about, you know, what's going on in your life? What are some of the struggles and challenges here in, in this neighborhood or this community? And just ask them those questions. And as you have opportunity, then actually share the gospel with them. Here's what I know as a pastor. If I tell people from the pulpit, go and make disciples, I want you to all witness this week. I want you to tell somebody about Jesus that doesn't know about Jesus this week. Are you likely to do that if I never do it? You're maybe not real likely to do it anyway, because uh, it's hard. <laughs> but if I never do it, but I tell you to do it, I have no credibility with you, do I? So I need to be able to, at least from time to time, share with you about an encounter with an unchurched or lost person that I had and then what God did 
in that encounter. So bridge building does two things. One, it helps you learn, uh, know your community better and what the needs are. And number two, you're modeling for the congregation what you're expecting them to do. And we have lots of examples of this from scriptures. Jesus all the time was hanging out in the community. Did he spend more time with uh, religious folks or, or non-religious folks, would you say? Yeah, non-religious. And when he, when he was with the religious folks, how did that usually go? <laughs> Not, Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's where, he, that's where the people he hung out with. So that's a pretty good model, I think, for us uh, as well. And St. Paul is the same way. I love Acts 20, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. So he, Paul spent time with the people as well. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you just a few minutes, uh, folks, uh, Next to you, talk about this. Where are some places you could hang out to build bridges in your community? Where are the good hangout places in your community? So go ahead and discuss that. I'll give you about two or three minutes, and then we'll, we'll find out where they are so we can hang out with you. Okay, if you can hear my voice, clap twice. awesome how that works. So where are the hangout places in your community? Just let's share. McDonald's. McDonald's? Good coffee. YMCA shops. Where? YMCA. YMCA? Coffee, shop. coffee shops. Besides McDonald's, coffee shops. Bowling shop. alleys. Alley. Libraries. Libraries. Culver's. Culver's. That's, Culver's like a, what? A restaurant, okay. Well, I heard another one over here. Service clubs. Senior centers, Micro the mall, brewery. where? Microbrewery. Micro brewery. Excellent. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so. Okay, basketball courts. Excellent. Yeah, I like the coffee in the morning, then the, the brewery late afternoon, but then you have to go back to the coffee shop after that, right? Okay, very good. So, yeah, so there's just about every community has a place you can hang out. And, and, folks, this is ministry, by the way. I mean, it's fun. It can be fun. But this is also ministry. It's important uh, to be able to, to do this. Okay. Okay. Any questions on building bridges? By the way, uh, Phil Johnson's breakout on, on demographics and things like that can be helpful, too, um, you know, to have all of that information. But I, I think um, that has to be combined with personal experience as well. The next one is vision casting. So the pastor creates a healthy sense of urgency about the ministry priorities and direction of the congregation. And we'll break that down and, and talk about what, what that's all about. Let me talk a little bit about what I mean by vision. I think some of these terms are misunderstood. So I, I need for you and I to be on the same page with uh, the terms that we're using. So vision begins with mission. There's a difference between mission and vision. I would say mission is a clear understanding of why the congregation exists. So let's talk about why the congregation exists. 
Why do you have a congregation in your community? What is the mission of, and fill in the blank, South Shore Trinity or St. Paul's or Redeemer or whatever the name of your church is? What's the mission of your church? It should be the same for every congregation here. What is the mission that Jesus gave to us before he ascended into heaven? Yeah. It's a great commission, right? Go and make disciples as you're going. Wherever you go, whatever you do, I want you to make disciples, and I want you to baptize them, and I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. And I'm going to be with you the whole time as you do it. That's the mission. Now, we need to be clear on that. We all need to be on the same page. Because I think sometimes we get a little confused. We think the mission of the church is worship. Is worship important? Absolutely it is. It's not the primary mission of the church. It helps us do our mission. It strengthens us and encourages us, but it's also a way for us to you know, glorify God and praise him for who he is and what he does. But the mission is to make disciples. What about Christian education? Is that important? Absolutely. Is it the mission? No. Making disciples is the mission. See where I'm going with this? We do a lot of things in church that are very important, but the mission always remains the same, to make disciples. But sometimes we get confused and we make some of these other things more important than the mission. So, all on the same page, everybody with me? The mission of the church is to make disciples. However, that mission is going to look different at every church. So we want vision that is a clear and compelling picture of where the congregation is headed and how it will carry out the mission. So what you do here at South Shore Trinity is going to look different than what I do at Trinity in Memphis. By the way, I'm interim pastor at the downtown church in, in Memphis uh, right now. So it's 155 years old, which is the uh, oldest church I've ever been at. It's kind of fun, interesting, and challenging all at the same time. But that's going to look different than what you're doing here. Okay? Convictions that have an outward focus. Yes, we want to take care of our own members. It is very important to do so. But vision's all about what are we going to do to reach those who are not here yet. And there's all kinds of folks out there who need to be in here. And it's the same in every community. And so then vision becomes the organizing factor of everything that we do in our ministry. You want to uh, know a good way to answer questions that people have about new ministries? And when people come to you and they say, well, pastor, I've got this great idea, or they come to the church council, or, or however it goes in your church, I've got this great idea for a new ministry. How do you decide whether or not you should invest in that ministry? Does it depend on who made the request? Does it depend on how hard it is to do that particular ministry? Does it depend on whether you personally like that idea? What should it depend on? Does it fit the vision of your church? And I really should say mission and vision. Is, is there a disciple-making component and does it fit the direction that you as a congregation have decided to walk down together? So that's why vision is so important. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same team. We're all pulling in the same direction, whatever that is, whatever you've decided 
as a congregation. Well, how do you go about discerning what God's vision is for your church? It really has to be God's vision. Can't be, you know, Pastor Schmidt's vision. Can't be Grandma Schmidt's vision. It needs to be God's unique vision for your congregation. Well, we have a process uh, that we devised um, that, that we think is very, very helpful. But it really comes down to this uh, understanding that most of the people in your church, and this comes from, uh, I'm not sure if this is a Gallup poll or a Pew survey, but uh, they found 91% of Christians in, in the United States don't really understand that the church exists to fulfill the Great Commission according to Matthew 28. 91% think that the mission of the church is to take care of them. And so they come as consumers. Have you ever experienced this in your church? So you, you get some guests, hopefully, tomorrow, right, that come to your church as long as the snow's not too bad, right? And uh, so you get, maybe get a couple guests. And so they come to your church for the very first time. Are they coming through your doors thinking, wow, this is a place I can serve and help make disciples? What, what do you... <laughs> What do you think's on their mind? Is they, this is the first time they've been to your church. What are they thinking as they walk through those doors for the very first time? Exactly. How are you going to serve me? So, as they come in in whatever kind of worship you have, whatever kind of music you have, what, what are they thinking as they listen to that and as they uh, participate in the worship service? Do I personally like <laughs> this style of worship and this music? And if I don't, what am I probably going to do? Go somewhere, Go somewhere else. else, not come back, right? Uh, or if I have small children, what kinds of questions am I asking? Is there a Sunday school? Yeah, is, it, you know, is there a good Sunday school? What about the nursery? What about the children's program? If I have youth-aged children, what am I thinking? Same thing. What, you know, do they have a good youth program? If I'm single, I might be thinking, do they have a singles ministry? Or if uh, I'm a widow or widower, do they have uh, you know, something for me? So that's just human nature. So we just need to understand that people come to church as consumers. Is that the way we want them to leave? No. <laughs> we want them to go from consumers to servants. But just understand that people are looking at least initially, for something that's going to serve them. And of course, what they really need is what? Jesus, right? That's always the answer. They always, we need Jesus. They, they, they need the Word of God. They need to grow spiritually. But they usually don't come initially with that thought in mind. So we have to educate them. We have to train them. We have to uh, take them where they're at and then help them to go where they need to go. So that leaves us essentially with two vision choices. One is inward, and this is, people ask me, you know, so why are so many churches in the United States not growing? And by the way, do you know what the percentage is right now? Anybody know how many churches are plateaued or declining in worship attendance in the United States? It's 90%. Kind of interesting that 91% of <laughs> Christians think the church should serve them and about 90% of the churches aren't growing. Hmm. Coincidence? Maybe not. Um, 
That, to me, is a reason why so many churches are struggling today is because we have succumbed to our human nature and, uh, you know, the flesh that says it's all about me. And it can't be all about me. But that's one choice, and a lot of churches are doing that. And so, you know, a lot of the folks are pretty content. They're pretty happy for the most part as they dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and eventually have to close their doors. What's the other choice, do you think? Outward. All right. So everything should be about outreach, right? How does that work, generally? Have you tried that? It's all, it's all about everybody else. A lot of people aren't, they're going to get upset with that, right? And there's a few churches that have done that rather successfully, and they're huge, they're mega churches. Maybe there's a third choice. What do you think a third choice could be? That could be both. So let's take care of our people. Let's strengthen them. Let's encourage them. Let's feed them. Let's love them. So that, well, one, that they're loved, they need to be loved, but so that they can be empowered to share what they have with other people. And that's the approach that we take uh, at TCN. It needs to be both. But when push comes to shove, it's always got to be outward. Because again, our human nature is going to, you know, kind of focus on me and my needs. So if there's a choice between me and my needs and sharing the gospel with somebody else out in the community, I always have to choose my neighbor. That's kind of the way it works. Okay, so how do we do this? Well, we have a way to get started. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail now because I have another breakout session this afternoon called People of Passion, and we'll, we'll uh, go through this in more detail. But I'll share a little bit now. This is a great way to help discover God's unique vision for your church. So you start out with prayer walking. There's seven missional activities in this book, by the way. The first one's prayer walking. How many of you have ever done prayer walking? Okay, quite a few. That's awesome. Okay, someone who's done prayer walking. Raise your hand again. How many of you have done prayer walking? Okay, someone who's done it, share with the rest what it is. Who would like to do it? I have another book. I, okay. If you're walking out, you can pray for your neighbors and your other, anybody that you see the houses that are around your neighborhood. There you go. All you do is walk and pray. Pray for whatever you see. So... See a live human being, you actually pray for that person, even if you don't know them. See a house, you pray for the people in the house. See a school, pray for the people in the school. And particularly praying that God connects them either to your church or another church and that they hear the gospel from somebody. That's really what you're praying for. I like to break it down into the four Ps. So pray for people, whoever you see. Pray for pain, not that people would have it. But where you see it, <laughs> that uh, you know, God would, would become present and, and uh, help comfort the folks. Uh, pray for problems that you see. Pray for places that you walk by. What if you live out in the country and people are, are few and far between? How do, you, how do you prayer walk then? Prayer drive. There you go. Prayer drive. Just don't close your eyes while you're praying <laughs> and drive, you know, okay? So keep your eyes open. Uh, you can actually prayer sit, too, like at a mall. Or, you know, some place where a lot of people go by, just prayer sit. Pray for the folks as they come by. And again, in, in the breakout session, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. There's, there's lots of different ways to do this. Some are more effective than others. But it's essentially just praying for whatever you see. You get lots of people doing this. What are you going to learn about your community? 
Yeah, what happens when you pray? Who does it change? Most. It changes you. So what prayer walking does is gives you a heart for your community, and you, you begin to sense where God is already working. You know, Jesus said he never did anything except he saw his heavenly Father doing it, right? So if that worked for Jesus, you think that might work for us? So let's look to see what's our heavenly Father doing? He's doing something. The way we discern that, the way we discover that, uh, one way at least is through, through prayer walking. So you begin to discover what the needs are in your community, where God's already working, and where you can plug in. And so it'll change your heart for your community. So that's the first thing. Then we do community surveying. At some point, you actually do need to talk to people. <laughs> it is very helpful to talk to people. So we have a very um, brief and simple survey, and there's three questions. So the first question is, can you describe whatever the name of your church is in three words? And what do you think the number one answer is to that question? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Or I've never heard of that church. Well, hey, that tells you something, doesn't it? Or maybe they do know you. So they, they, they say something like, oh, it, you have a school. So you're known for your school, or, or it's the beautiful church with the big steeple, or it's a church where they had the scandal. <laughs> Hopefully it's not that, right? Um, but you're going to learn some things <laughs> about your reputation in your community. So that's the first question. Second question is, what needs do you see people in our community struggling with? And you don't ask them, what are you struggling with, because they oftentimes don't want to talk about their own problems, but they'll talk about their neighbor's problems. <laughs> and they'll tell you the community's needs. So it's a good way to really find out what's going on in your community, what they need. And then the third question is, if you were looking for a church, what qualities or characteristics would you be looking for? What do you think the number one answer is to that question around, around the country? What do you think people are looking for most often? Community. What, what? Community. Community, it, 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 that's close. It, it kind of kind of the direction. What else? Relationships. Relationships, also sort of kind of what they're looking for. Fun, service, enjoyable. Yeah, all of those things. Um, but the number one answer is I want a place where they won't judge me. In other words, they, they want unconditional acceptance. And, and here's what's interesting about unchurched folks they think that all of us who go to church regularly have it together. Man, have we got them fooled. <laughs> so they come in and they see all these you know, well-groomed, uh, smiling, freshly scrubbed people, and they go, man, they've got it all together. These folks have no problems because they're Christians. They've been going to church a long time. Unlike me, the unchurched person, I've walked into church for the very first time, and, and, and my life's a mess. I don't want you to know that my life's a mess. And I don't want you to judge me because I don't dress like you, I don't make as much money as you, my lifestyle's different from you, fill in the blank. So what they want is unconditional acceptance. That should really be one of our strong points, shouldn't it, <laughs> in the church? So if somebody comes in with tattoos and you know, weird hair and, you know, um, 
uh, their, their girlfriend or boyfriend, which may or may not be the same gender, on their arm. They don't want everybody looking at them like, mm, yeah, I know, you know, they're, they're not uh, really, uh, they're not like the rest of us. So they, they want to be accepted. Now, that's not to say that we, that we condone sin or that we don't preach about that or anything like that. It's just saying we, we love all of God's people, and we're going to treat you with dignity, respect, and love. So these are the three questions. So you get to know your com- community just asking three very simple questions. So you've got to send people out. And uh, I found the best time to do this is on Sunday morning. Because where do you think you're going to find the most unchurched people? Or when do you think you're going to find the most unchurched people? Sunday morning. I mean, you know, if they're not in church, they're unchurched. Well, or they might be sleeping. Yeah. So don't go at 8.30 (laughs) and knock on somebody's door. But if you have a Sunday school hour uh, or even during your late service, send some folks out. You can do it any time, but... Uh, a good time to do it, and probably not while it's snowing. Okay. All right. Here is the final um, vision statement, uh, the end of the process, not really the end of the process, but um, uh, walking through these steps, uh, prayer walk, community surveying, then you do demographic studies and get more information about your community, which you can get from your district office. Right? You get all of this information, and what we usually do with the congregation that we're working with is we have a visioning day. So we spend uh, about 9 to 3. We uh, go through all of this information, go through this process. By the end of the day, you will have a vision statement, a draft vision statement that will look something like this. This is Trinity Lutheran Church in Lexington, Nebraska. So we like to start with um, the mission purpose, and usually stated in a way that's kind of distinctive to that particular church, but again, the mission purpose is always the same, right? It's go and make disciples. So, and the king said, as you have done it to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. That's the mission. Then there's a target. This is very important. How many people are there in the Twin Cities? I have no idea. What, two, two and a half million? Three million? So, a lot of, a lot of folks. So, where are you going to start making disciples? You know, try and reach all three million? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all people, right? But you need to start somewhere. Or in your community, whatever it is, it's 50,000, 100,000. Who do you start with? Folks next door. Folks next door. Good idea. We would suggest the best people to start with, when Jesus says, you know, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. It's kind of like concentric circles, right? But Jerusalem was not only close geographically, it was the same kind of folks. And so um, Samaria was a little further away, so that's part of it, but it was also, it was a different, a different kinds of people, different ethnicities, if you will. So what we would suggest is find people that you relate to well. Start with them and then move out from there. Um, Another way to put it is you're looking for the intersection of the passion and expertise of your people with the needs of your community. So wherever that comes together, that's usually a pretty good place to start. So we'd call that the vision target. Here's who they targeted. We are a church that is fully committed to meeting the needs of the multi-ethnic community around us, beginning with our Latino brothers and sisters. 
Anybody ever been to Lexington, Nebraska? Okay, what's in Lexington, Nebraska? Nothing. <laughs> Not a lot, but about 20,000 people. What do you know about the community? Yeah, what do you know, Phil? Meatpacking, meat exactly. Huge meatpacking plants, okay? And so there's lots of uh, Latino uh, folks that have moved in there, many of them second and third generation now. And so they work on the, the packing plants along with uh, Somalis and other uh, people from Africa and places like that. Um, how many of these folks do you think go to Trinity Lutheran Church on a regular basis? As far as I know, at least when I was there several years ago, one, one Latino family. But what they found was this is the greatest need in our community and th these are the folks we have a passion for, so that became their target. Amazing. So that's their target. How are they going to reach them? So that's your strategy. Here's their strategy. We intend to share the love of Christ with them through various ministries, such as providing transportation, repairing and maintaining their homes, teaching English as a second language, providing tutoring in a community gathering place, and much, much more. So in other words, we're going to build relationships with uh, Latino families in their community by meeting some of their needs. And through their surveys, this is what they found were their needs. Now look at their long-range plan. Eventually, we hope to provide ministry and worship for these new disciples with us in their own culture and language. So they're going to get a Hispanic missionary. But not until after they built relationships with these folks. So that's just an example of a vision statement. So you have a purpose, you've got your target or targets, and here's our rule of thumb. For every 100 folks in worship, you, should have, uh, you could have a tar one target. So if your church, you have 500 in worship, you might have five targets. If you have 100 in worship, or less, say less than 100, so you have 50, probably only ha should have one target. So what I've, I've seen in a lot of small churches is, man, we need to reach everybody. Well, great. But let's get good at reaching somebody first. And then, then you can move out from there. But if you're a bigger church, you can do, you can do a lot more. Okay. And we're about out of time. Unfortunately, before break, I'll come back to this one because this is the imp most important one. <laughs> so I don't want to give this short, short shrift. But, uh, Let's go ahead and break. Okay, we'll break now. We'll come back and we'll, we'll pick this up after the break. So what, 10, 15 minutes? Thanks for listening to this episode of Cultivating Leaders. We'll continue next week with the uh, afternoon presentation that Dr. Tiemann gave. And then the following weeks, we'll have uh, breakout presentations, uh, one that Dr. Tiemann did, and then one that Reverend Steve Benson from Eastern Heights Lutheran Church here in St. Paul did. So have a blessed week, and thanks for listening.